Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, church family, it's good to see you again. After last Tuesday's presidential debacle, I'm sorry, oops, I meant debate. Um, I've been doing a lot of thinking and praying about how God's word can help us prepare for our country's upcoming election. In these turbulent times in which we're living, and 2020 has certainly been a year to remember, it's very important for the Lord's church to be sober-minded. And that's a New Testament term I'm using, sober-minded. And, and, and the Lord's church needs to be a source of stability in the culture. And so for these reasons, I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Now, as you turn there, let me just give you a heads up about a few things I'm going to do differently today in this video. Uh, Instead of opening in prayer, I'm going to invite you to join me in praying for our country at the end of this video. And then, although I typically write my main points on my outlines as principles or truths gleaned from a scripture passage or verse, today I've done something different by making each point an application. Uh, Something else that's going to be different is that we'll be flipping around in our Bibles to some different places where I get these applications from uh, in in this biblical thinking that I think we need to have regarding uh, an election year. And by the way, if you need to pause or rewind the video while you uh, find the next scripture passage, that is totally okay. It's totally okay. I, I don't expect you to be as fast as me. In fact, some of you may be faster than I am at finding uh, the passage that we're going to turn to next. And finally, instead of inserting discussion questions into the middle of the video, like I've been doing, I've put two at the end for you to interact with, okay? Well, uh, Philippians chapter 3, here's just a little bit of context before I read the passage. Uh, and it's, I, I want you to get this. The, the city of Philippi, which Paul was writing to, the church in Philippi, it was a Roman colony established in the region of Macedonia after winning the Battle of Philippi in 42 BC. The emperor at that time ordered their soldiers and some citizens to take up residence in this far remote city so that it would remain under Roman control. In order to appease these first-generation citizens who would be giving up the comforts of living in Rome uh, and they would be establishing this new city, the Roman emperor granted them the same privileges they would have had if they were living on Italian soil. Among these privileges were the right to self-government, freedom from taxation, and legal status equivalent to Rome. And that was rare because none of the other Roman colonies got that. Now, as a result of this, though, a byproduct of that was the Philippians became very proud of their Roman citizenship that they possessed because, again, no other colonies did. And so let's take a look at how Paul addresses their patriotic pride. Uh, Follow along with me, if you would, as I read Philippians 3, verses 17 to 21. Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. 
for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory, they glory, excuse me, in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Okay, here's uh, point number one on your outline, the first application, and that is we need to maintain an eternal perspective. We need to maintain an eternal perspective. When, When the apostle says our citizenship is in heaven, he's saying all Christ followers should consider themselves kingdom citizens first and civil citizens second. We should not, we should not be like the false teachers he's referring to in verses 18 and 19 who who had a temporal perspective. And he, he mentions that by saying their minds were set on earthly things. And that's not a good thing, according to Paul. Paul wrote this because he did not want the Philippian believers investing all their hopes and dreams and security in a temporary government. Both biblical and world history have proven over time that empires rise and empires fall. And for us, as Protestant evangelical Americans, this means that just like every other empire in world history, The Lord has raised our country up for a season to accomplish His kingdom objectives, but another empire will eventually replace us if the Lord doesn't come back before then. It also means that true believers will be citizens in heaven, sorry, in heaven, I need to gesture up there, much longer than the countries they currently reside in. And it means that if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then part of the good news of believing the gospel is the fact that this world is is no longer your home. You are not home yet. You are a pilgrim just passing through on your way to glory. It means our love for Christ should always, always, always be greater than our love of country. And it means we do our best to influence the culture while we're here, by praying and voting, but we never forget the fact that this world and this country is not our permanent home. Another way I could succinctly state what it means to have an eternal perspective would be this. Don't be so earthly-minded that you're no heavenly good. Don't be so earthly minded that the Lord can't use you to do eternal work here on earth. Now, one way which you can discern which one you love more, our country or Christ, is to ask yourself this question. If the United States was conquered and your religious freedoms were taken away, or both, Would you still follow Jesus? I want to encourage you to ponder that question. 
Next, let's turn to Psalm 75. Psalm 75. And I want to show you another helpful and encouraging principle that I think we need to be reminded of in this election season. Psalm 75. You might remember me mentioning in the past the book of Psalms is a collection of worship songs and prayers that the people of Israel used. It's a book of poetry, but it's also packed with theological truth. Psalm 75, I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Okay, here's, here's number two on your outline. The second application I think we need to remember this fall, and that is remember that God is sovereign over all thrones, offices, and leaders. Remember that God is sovereign over all thrones, offices, and leaders. God's sovereignty or providence, as it's sometimes referred to, is they are, it's, they're both theological terms that refer to God's hand in the glove of history or his hand on the steering wheel of time. The world thinks it decides who gets elected and that the nation with the most power will always rise to the top. However, what they don't realize is that they are actually just pawns in the Lord's hands as he writes world history. This is what Asaph is communicating in Psalm 75. No nation or politician rises to power unless the Lord causes or allows it to happen. And he does so only if it fits his kingdom agenda. One illustration that comes to mind that I think proves this is we can see this in the prophetic books such as Habakkuk and Jeremiah and Isaiah, in which the Lord says he will cause the Babylonians, who were the superpower at the time, to conquer and capture the people of Israel as discipline for their repeated disobedience. At the end of their captivity, the Lord raises up the Persians as the new world superpower to conquer the Babylonians and then moves in the heart of the pagan, unbelieving Persian king to let his people return home to Jerusalem. Another illustration that we see in the scriptures that proves this point is that we see this in, the, in leading up to the birth of Christ in the Christmas story. For a short period of time before the birth of Christ, the Greeks were the world superpower. And they established their language as the predominant language of the world, which, interestingly, led to the translation of the Old Testament into what's called the Septuagint, which then made it accessible for more people to read. Then the Lord elevated the Roman Empire as the next superpower. The Greeks fell. And as the next superpower, they used their culture to establish government, intelligence through their education system, infrastructure to facilitate travel, and processes such as an efficient means for collecting taxes. All these things helped set the table for the birth of Christ and made it possible for the gospel to spread faster and easier in the world. So, in the eyes of the world, all these events were just news headlines from everyday life. 
But what they couldn't see was that God was executing a bigger and greater eternal plan. In fact, in Psalm 2.4, it says the Lord laughs and scoffs at world leaders who plot and scheme without consulting Him because they are like ants compared to His mighty hand. Now, does this mean we should just throw our arms up in the air and say, oh, well, God is sovereign. He's going to do whatever He wants to do. No, no, we shouldn't. Instead, we should pray, we should vote, and trust God with the results. You see, part of the doctrine of God's sovereignty is that He works through human decisions to accomplish His will. Well, if you would turn with me and let's read uh, Psalm 146. Turn to Psalm 146. So while you're in the Psalms, hang a right. Let's go to 146, and I want to read verses 3 and 4. Now, because God is sovereign, we should do what we see here in Psalm 146, verses 3 and 4. It says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Okay, here's number three for your outline. Number three, the third application is we need to trust in the Lord instead of government leaders. You see, in the days in which the Psalms were written, monarchies were the most common form of government. Democracy had not been invented yet. Thus, the Psalms often refer to kings and princes as the political leaders of the day. In Psalm 146, the psalmist is urging God's people to put their trust in the Lord instead of worldly leaders. The inclusion of these verses in God's Word says something about us that I think we need to not miss. And it's this. These verses reveal our tendency to put too much stock in human leaders who will end up disappointing us. They disappoint us not only because they are sinners, but also because they lack the power to do everything they promised to do. They're not God. Now, the two reasons the psalmist gives for trusting the Lord instead of human leaders is that human leaders are temporal. Uh, he says that once they die, quote, when their breath departs, they return to the earth like dust, as it says in Psalm 103. They, their plans fade away. And because they're temporal, they're powerless to provide eternal salvation. Only God can do that. Now, Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9 convey a similar truth to this. But Jeremiah 17, 5, which I'd encourage you to look up later, excuse me, takes it even further by saying those who trust in man are cursed. And they have turned their heart away from the Lord. So this means we, we must have reasonable expectations of government leaders. We... We pray God would use them to bring positive changes, but we should not expect them to create heaven here on earth. Next, if you would turn with me to uh, 2 Timothy for our last point. 2 Timothy, towards the end of the New Testament. And I'm going to look at, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 14 to 16 and then 
24 and 25. 2 Timothy is grouped in uh, some letters that I commonly just think of the T books, uh, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and then 1 and 2 Timothy, and then Titus. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, Paul writes this, uh, starting in verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Now let's skip down to verses 24 and 25. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach and patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Okay, here's your last application in your outline, number four, and that is avoid foolish political arguments. Oh, I can't tell you how many times my skin has crawled or I have cringed seeing uh, two believers or a believer and an unbeliever engage in a heated argument over politics. Uh, and I often see it on social media. And it's just heartbreaking. Second uh, Timothy is a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy, who was pastoring the church in the city of Ephesus. Now, this letter is packed with godly counsel on how to build a strong, vibrant church. One of the many duties that church leaders are entrusted with is protecting the unity of the church. As you can see in this passage, it appears some Ephesian church members were being divisive by engaging in quarrels. Quarrels that Paul says are worthless. It was about things that didn't matter in the span of eternity. So the apostle gives Timothy and us the following instructions. In verse 14, he says, uh, foolish arguments can ruin those in the church who hear them. Uh, in verse 15, Paul tells us that we should instead invest our energies in learning God's Word, or what he calls the Word of Truth, because that is what we should be fighting for. And then in verse 16, he says foolish arguments can lead some to backslide in their pursuit of godliness. Now, does this mean we can still discuss our political opinions and views? Sure, but it doesn't mean we should get into a heated debate in order to prove somebody else wrong or that we should delight in sharing our opinions. Proverbs 18.2 says that fools take no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing their own opinions. So we need to not be foolish. Now, should we engage unbelievers in discussions about political issues that are near and dear to God's heart? Yes. But we need to be very careful. First, we need to remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. The natural person whom, whom he's referring to is the unbeliever. Unbelievers do not accept the things of God because their depraved mind has not been regenerated by being born again through faith in Jesus Christ. And second, we need to be very careful 
that we don't win a political argument with an unbeliever only to forfeit our witness in the process. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, for example, Paul says, Our speech towards unbelievers should always be gracious and seasoned with salt. Now, for those of you that are on social media, I want to challenge you this fall to post more biblical truth and encouragement than you do articles and quotes on politics. You see, what the world needs to hear from us more than anything is that we have something bigger and greater to unite around, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Regardless of who gets elected or appointed, nothing has changed in heaven or hell. All men and women are still sinners. The wages of their sin is still eternal death and separation from God. And their only hope is still repenting of their sin and trusting in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone for their salvation. And that's what the world needs to hear. And they need to hear it from us speaking the truth in love. So again, we pray, we vote, and then we trust God with the results. Now, here's some application questions I'd like you to consider before we wrap things up. And I've got these on your uh, message handout uh, that was on the website. The first one is this. Which one of these points, these four points that I talked about today, do you need to ask the Lord to help you with? Which one of the four do you need help with? I want to encourage you to write that down and share it with whoever you're watching this video with. And next, number two, the second application question, what steps do you need to take so that you can think biblically about politics and think biblically during this election season? You know, for example, perhaps you need to reduce your exposure to political news, or maybe you need to change the sources from which you get your political news from. Maybe you need to increase your time in God's Word during this election season. Maybe you need to increase your exposure and, uh, to praise and worship music and listen to praise and worship music more often just to remind you that God's in control. Maybe you need to memorize one of the scripture verses that we uh, referenced above. Just again, to remind yourself that the Lord is in control and that nothing that happens this fall is going to catch him by surprise. Well, I want to invite you, if you would now, to join me in prayer. Uh, as I pray for our nation, there's a lot going on this fall. And we really need to, as a church, uh, ask the Lord to uh, not only intervene, but to, to exercise dominion over all that's happening and to bring about good for His people and for His church and for our nation. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, I just uh, want to thank you for being sovereign over kingdoms and empires and governments. Because of your impeccable character, we know we can trust that you will work all things together for our good and your glory. Father, we're heartbroken and deeply concerned about the things that we've seen in our country this year. The rioting, the disregard for civil authorities, the racial conflict, unnecessary deaths, bitter rhetoric and finger-pointing, 
It's all proven to us what you've known all along, that despite the light of Christ coming into the world, most people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. And it's proven as well what you already knew, that, and that is that our nation's greatest need is to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we, we humbly ask that you would restore law and order and justice in our country, that you would use Christ followers like us and churches like ours all over the country to be a light in the darkness and to speak the truth in love. And Lord, please, would you use our prayers, our votes, and our witness to sovereignly appoint who our next government leaders would be. We ask, Lord, that you would raise up godly men and women who fear you. And if that's not your will, then at least men and women who have values that closely align with the Scriptures. Meaning, if they're believers, that's great. But if they're not believers, at least, Lord, if they could have values that are close to your word. Father, if that's not your will... We'll trust that you're up to something bigger than we can see on the horizon. Lord, we finally just want to remember uh, President Trump and his wife Melania as they recover from COVID-19 in the hospital. Please, Lord, would you heal them? Lord, would you work through President Trump and give him great wisdom and as well his leadership team so that they can make wise choices for the good of your people and for our nation? Father, thank you for all that you're doing that we don't see and all that we will see soon. In the powerful and trustworthy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, finally, just want to share with you uh, this week's uh, verse of encouragement. It comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. Romans 8, 38 to 39. It's there that Paul says this. It's loaded with so much encouragement. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch what the apostle is saying here? If you have genuinely repented of your sins and trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, then nothing can separate you from the love of God. Regardless of who gets elected, regardless of whether you catch COVID-19, or whether you get your old job back or you get a new one, or what your finances look like, you are safe and secure in the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope these two verses encourage you this week as you walk with and as you trust the Lord. Thanks again for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.